Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. I tried to do a really normal one that time, and it came out feeling weirder than if I didn't. Like, it did. It felt like you were doing an impersonation of yourself. I'm a normal guy. This is how a normal podcast host <laughs> Uh Justin, I, I almost made a major flub. Yeah, let's talk a about major, that a little bit, sister. Major screw-up. I don't know. <laughs> major something. Uh, so... When I sat down to put, to put together this episode, um, many listeners, many of you wonderful listeners, had written in saying that I should talk about a recent archaeological discovery that was made um, in Borneo by um, Indonesian and Australian scientists, archaeologists of what we now know of, unless something changes in the future, mm-hmm. of as the first recorded surgical amputation. Well, the first discovered. I guess that wasn't recorded. Right. We found a skeleton that was missing. And it was left. recorded. <laughs> well, yeah. And they were like, I won't we just, need this. <laughs> we, haven't, the trash. we haven't found the record. Sorry, we, history. Well, they did discover a 30-ish thousand year old, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. skeleton that was missing a left foot. Um, okay. And it appeared that the tibia and fibula were cleanly cut. Ooh. So a surgical amputation. And not only that, the age of the skeleton was, it was probably around a person that was 19 or 20 years old-ish. And the there was you could tell there had been growth around it, like the bones had grown in certain ways. That this amputation probably occurred six or nine years before the person died, meaning that not only did they have a surgical amputation performed, but they lived afterwards beyond that. That yes. was not the end of their their story. Exactly, um, and there was no evidence in the bone, at least, of infection, hmm. the kind of damage you would see from infection, which means that they probably did a pretty good job of keeping it you know, from getting contaminated, which completely changes our understanding of medical history and medical advances at the time. And that society, the structure of that society that they took the time, they were able, they had the expertise, the technology, the ability to do this, the the desire to do this, to mm-hmm. save a member of society who, you know, no longer... Right, had value from like a working... Like, yes, you know, yeah. ability not, to contribute. Not by our physically. modern sense had right, value, exactly. but at the... Yeah, our entire understanding can shift. And also, this this kind of work is also really important to undo kind of um, racist ideas about different parts of the world and how underdeveloped they were at different times. I mean, our whole understanding of, of human history changes in a moment when Just we like discover that. things like that. Fascinating discovery... Um, so interesting, relevant to our show, and I thought I'm going to do a whole history 
of amputations and, you know, surgical amputation and how we develop that technology. And I started working on that. And as I was looking for resources, I found our show <laughs> where we have already done this episode. <laughs> uh, it's been many years ago. This show's been going on a while. Hey, You'll have to forgive me. That a lot of people will forget is this show's been going on a while. The the notes I found on my computer to like prove to myself, did we do that? Yes, we did yes. this. Uh, were so old that they're saved not on like anything in the cloud. It's not a Google Doc. Not even in the cloud. It's just it's just on this computer. It's on the hard drive of this computer. So if this if anything happens to this computer, those notes are. Go- I at some point, Justin, you need to help me move all these show notes, notes to the cloud. To the cloud because huh, it's almost like I've said that I would do that um, over <laughs> a dozen times, and when I offer to do it. You're always too busy doing I, something else for me to do I, it. I also it's it's saved on Open Office. Oh my god! Which my version of Open Office is so old, and I haven't I don't know how to update it that it has like a permanent error box on my, my computer screen desktop at all times. Just on her screen, like you might as well save it on a, a single. Like that's how applicable. Anyway, I need to get these show notes into the cloud before yeah, something happens. Cloud. <laughs> before something happens. So the so cloud not... can say, Sydney, you already did this episode. So I got to share this wonderful piece of medical history. I would I would encourage you to go read the the paper about it. It's fascinating. Um You know, we should have redone the episode <laughs> because apparently the whole thing's incorrect now, the whole thing's outdated. Well, th- I think the rest of no, I looked through the show notes. The rest of it is all accurate. Just it's append, just uh, <laughs> we used to say the first known surgical amputation was about seven thousand years ago, and now we say it was about thirty thousand. We should just do a thing at the beginning where we're like, "Hey, so anyway, in the beginning, some people figured this out, and then we all forgot about it for millennia." Anyway, okay, here we and, go. Yep, and then we remembered. So instead, I'm going to talk about E. coli. <laughs> okay. Um, natural, uh, natural transition. I, I did what I always do when I need a topic. Um, when I'm in desperation, I turn to our emails. Uh-huh. And Amanda recommended that I talk about E. coli. Amanda mentioned that it had recently been found. I don't know if it was just in Amanda's water or in all water, but either way, it was in the water and it was concerning. That's a, that's a massive distinction, mm-hmm. whether well, or not it's in Amanda's water or all water. That's it's, a very, that's almost listen, like the biggest difference it could be. Listen, here in West Virginia, our legislature is devoted to lowering water quality standards as far as they can go. So that's true. That is not a concern. That's true. Not <laughs> we, concern. we don't worry about that. We welcome it. We yeah. all E. coli welcome here. So open for business. We've probably all thought or talked about E. coli at one point or another. I feel like it's one of the bacteria that people like, you say it. And I mean, like, you have some sort of idea about it, right? Yes. What do you think of when you think of E. coli? Uh, for me, it's like it's all connected to fast food chains. It's like salad, okay. salad bars is what I think of when I hear E. coli. What does it I cause? Think salad bars and uh, hamburger meat. Those are the two things that I think about. And what does it cause? Pooping. Okay. Diarrhea. Yeah. That's what we think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not all bacteria would not I be able like to mention regular, uh, and my, you would know immediately what it caused. My impression of the pooping is it's not regular pooping. It's just like <laughs> pooping. And sometimes, sometimes if you've had a urinary tract infection – I, I always feel bad because if you don't know that E. coli also causes a, a good number of urinary tract infections, I know that it's always, and I've had them too, so this is this is something we all experience. There's always a moment where I have to explain to a patient, like, it's E. coli, that's fine, that's normal, that's very mm-hmm. common, most common, because it's not a long journey from one orifice to the other down there. <laughs> I mean, that's just the truth, and like... That happens, and that's the truth. Yeah. And anyway, so it can cause urinary tract infections too. But the point is we usually associate it with like foodborne illness and diarrhea. 
I know it's unpleasant. Sorry. That's that's that, what we're talking I, about. Yeah. Uh, but when did we find it? Who is E? Who is the E of E. coli? I well, don't know. Let's talk about it. Oh, okay. Um, I thought it was a mystery. That was about to be <laughs> no. wild. Like, nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's, it's, like, just it's e. like Oreo. No one knows why they're called that. They're just... That's what they're called. Now, we know what all the bacteria, why they're named with their name pretty much because we've changed it many times over. Yeah. Like, we kept changing where things belonged and like, oh, actually, that doesn't belong in that, you know, genus. It's it this was, one or that family. It's, this, you know, that all that stuff. For the for most of human history, it's just all country name and then mumps. So it's like the Spanish <laughs> mumps, the German mumps, the That's Italian mumps. Like, hey, we did it with flu. Yeah. Or, or what animal? Pig flu, bird flu. I still uh-huh. love this. Poor Spanish flu man walking to Spain, be like, "What'd you guys do? Why'd you do this? That's this why is I, terrible." See, I try not to do that. I try to always say, like, the influenza pandemic, nineteen eighteen, not call it any specific country. Hmm. We have to we have to rectify that Thank historical you. mistake. The discovery was made by Doctor Theodore Esquerik. Hmm. Escherichia is the word that we're going to, Escherichia coli is the oh, full name. That's what the E is for. Okay. Um, cool. In 1885, he was a German-Austrian pediatrician. He uh, was studying what kind of bacteria are in the newborn colon. Basically, he was taking samples of meconium. Do you know what meconium is? Yeah, it's the, um, it's the, f- the first dookie. It's the first poop. Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, on a side note, by the way, the not not impressed at all. I mean, I guess I'm a father too, so I should know that. I think we've part. talked about it. Meconium is that first poop, and it's if you've ever seen one, it's kind of black and sticky and tarry. It's different. It's different than all the poops that will come. It's thereafter. amazing that we've gone this far in human history. It's just like the first thing that happens as a parent is like, oh, this can't be right. This <laughs> something is wrong here. This can't be. Is this, this okay? This can't be right. Uh, so. That, by the way, on a side note, meconium, whether or not it is sterile, whether or not there is bacteria in meconium is still kind of debated. For a long time, we thought it was sterile. We really? thought that, like, because the intrauterine environment is sterile, when a baby is born, that first poop is also sterile. Then there have been some studies that found some bacterial DNA in meconium, which kind of called the whole thing into question. Like, well, is there bacteria in the meconium? Then is there bacteria in the intrauterine environment? Is that part of, like— just physiology. That's normal. That's just part of the developmental process. Mm-hmm. And all of that got kind of called into question. So that's something we're still figuring out because mm-hmm. we know that we get colonized with bacteria in our colons really quickly after birth. Like really soon you you see bacteria and poop after birth. That's normal. That's part of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But then the question was, well, maybe does it happen even before? Oh. So some an area we are still in, investigating. Um, also, meconium is from the Greek word for poppy. Because really? which they, is either because meconium, the black sticky stuff, looks like raw opium. Which, as I was hearing this, I was thinking like heroin yeah. is the way that it black sticky tar. Doctors then were so rad. They're <laughs> like, you know what that looks like? It looks it looks like heroin. Well, Doesn't raw it? opium. But hey, yeah. Doug, Doug. <laughs> Hey, am I out of my gourd here? This looks like heroin, right? Like, that's heroin. It, Seen it 20 times today. It may be either that or because Aristotle noted that it makes babies sleepy, meconium, which is probably a reference to the fact that if babies aspirate or, like, inhale meconium while still in utero, sometimes they have issues when they're born. Oh, so that's why it's so important to know if it's a, sterile or not because if mm-hmm. they ingest it, then, I mean. That's a whole syndrome. Meconium aspiration syndrome is a thing that can happen when babies yeah, do pass. MAS. Yeah, in, yeah. Yes, that is what it. 
when they do pass Sometimes their first meconium good, in utero. This is a good trick I can play on Sydney. <laughs> if she says a term that has multiple words in it, and I say the acronym of that, that's what she would normally call it at work. So a lot of times I can get a half second of admiration out of Sydney, <laughs> where she looks at me like, oh, and then she's like, oh, wait, you just, you abbrevi- just, you just yeah. abbreviated it. Okay. But that, that is a debate, because like that can happen. If they pass the first meconium while they're still in utero, and then they inhale it, like, it's usually like an inflammatory sort of response. It's treatable. This is not, I mean, it's something we want to treat and address, but this is not necessarily fatal or anything. Um, But yeah, if there's bacteria in there, that's a whole other question. So far, we don't think so, but we're not sure. Anyway, I digress. He was investigating meconiums and then first stools from infants. So like after they'd been alive for a bit, looking at that poop too. And he found these little short rod-shaped bacteria. He called them bacterium coli commune, meaning like I find these common bacteria in lots of colons. Uh, And he did all the tests that you do. When you find a bacteria, you do a bunch of tests on it. I remember this from microbiology lab. I remember doing these tests and then I have never done them since. But like you want to figure out what they'll grow on. It grew on blood and auger. It made these little white colonies. You can look at that. What are they, you know, what dyes will they take up? Like how can you stain them so that they'll, so you can look at them? Do they ferment things? All the different things you do Mm -hmm. to try to define where does this bacteria belong in the whole gigantic world of bacteria that we even understand, let alone all the bacteria we haven't found yet. Mm-hmm. There's so many bacteria out there. We are so outnumbered by germs. It wouldn't be until 1919 that the bacteria would actually bear his name. He didn't name it after himself. Two other scientists later, Castellani and Chalmers, did more research on it, re- helped reposition it in, you know, all of the the world of bacteria, what what its name should be, and called it Escherichia. Oh, we actually coli. have some. Oh, we have some audio of when he found out that they did that. Hold on, let me play it right now. Oh, <laughs> great! Because it's such a good, yeah, absolutely. For oh, forever, yeah, I'll tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abs- thank you, God. Wow. He may. Thank you. That's so great. You know, I didn't do that. I, th- I thought I had a reason. Uh, oh, well, thank you, you kidders. That's really nice. He may have actually passed away by then. It doesn't, it's uh, not it doesn't matter. Okay, matter, I won't, I won't, yeah. Like, I know you anyway. love to bury every sawbones topic, <laughs> but, like, it doesn't actually matter in this case. So, E. coli, uh, and we're going to go through the history. Like, so we found it. What has it done since then? A lot of stuff. Um It is, like I said, it's one of the earliest bacteria to colonize our colons. It is there with us. From our earliest days of life, E. coli lives lives among us, within us, inside us, and is a part of who we are. Yeah. Um, which makes it an important bacteria. Uh, and there are lots of different strains, and they do lots of different things. Some of them are pathogenic, and we're going to ca- talk about some of those, and they can cause great harm mm-hmm. to, to humans, and they have in the past, and they will. I do not see any reality where they don't continue to occasionally um, because yeah. I've seen y'all in the bathroom. You who's don't. Who's y'all? You know, you out there who don't wash your hands. I've seen you. I've been in many public restrooms and watched people walk right out of those stalls and right out that door. And don't you think nobody's watching? Sydney Sydney's is watching. watching. Sydney's Sydney, always watching. Sydney sees you. Sydney sees you not wash your hands. There are hey, always going to be people no, let's out do there. Sydney sees you not wash your hands T-shirt. <laughs> Just you looking judgmental. I see that happen, and I always want to. There is no non-judgmental way to say, "Hey, you forgot to." Wash your hands. <laughs> There's no way to say that. And you think you would think now, having like 
being in COVID times that yeah. everybody would be on board. And maybe it's better. Maybe like, I mean, I have, this is anecdotal. I haven't collected data. Maybe it is better. Maybe if you did an observational study, which is creepy, where you watch people <laughs> in bathrooms Yeah, you to can get see, what's the body that approves that kind of thing. Like, IRB approval, yeah, yeah. IRB approval on that. No, you're not going to get IRB approval to watch people in bathrooms and see if they wash their hands. Yeah. Um, but if you did, maybe the numbers are better now. I don't know. But I know it's still out. I know that anecdotally, I see you people. Wash mm. your hands. So it's also, in addition to, like, being pathogenic, there are probiotic strains that have, like, benefit for our colons. They're, like, part of the harmonious environment, our colonic flora. Mm. We have natural flora inside our our bodies in various areas. There's certain flora that is um, supposed to inhabit different parts. And when we find it there, we go, that's just part of normal oral flora or normal vaginal flora, normal colonic flora, whatever. So there, that is E. coli is part of that. And it lives in harmony and it's supposed to be there. Balance is really important in these parts of our body. If everything is in balance the way it should be, mm-hmm. we function well and our our parts, our bits function well. Um, if something starts, you know, growing over everything else and taking control mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, take over, like a throw a colonic coup, things, you know, get out of whack. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I want to talk about the times that Escherichia coli has caused problems. Okay. But Instead be- of found solutions. <laughs> but before we do that, we got to go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky 
podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive question mark Uh aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it (laughs) period oh my gosh hi i'm dave holmes host of the pop culture trivia podcast troubled waters on troubled waters we play games like motivational speeches it goes a little like this riley give us an improvised motivational speech why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. So, Sydney, you're about to tell me there's actually a downside to E. coli? Yeah. So, there have been outbreaks, and this is probably why you associate them with fast food, because there have been well-publicized outbreaks of Escherichia coli infections um, related specifically to fast food. It's not always fast food, right? We know that. I feel like every other month we hear about um, there's contaminated Something yeah. somewhere, whether it it's a like- meat or a vegetable product or a salad or a, a restaurant or a, um, a certain company that makes something or a grocery store. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's uh, always gr- very gratifying when that happens with lettuce because it's like, ah, I knew it. <laughs> that serves you right, lettuce eaters. It was rough when we couldn't. It was rough edge. <laughs> it was rough when uh, peanut butter was on the oh, yeah, list yeah, there for a while. Jeff. Had to settle for that wasn't E. coli though. No, it was something else. But um, but yeah, that was rough because we had to we had to throw away our peanut butter. I know, I know that was rough. And our children are very picky about peanut butter. I discovered I didn't know they were picky about peanut butter until apparently if you give your kids the same peanut butter their whole life, they only like that. Yeah, and when you give them other peanut butters, they notice. How do they notice? You send them to school with a sandwich, and they come home and they haven't eaten it, and they're like, "I hated that." 
and you you're like, what? I hate that peanut butter. You can tell. Um, so there have been uh, some outbreaks that have happened because of a specific strain of E. coli. And if you're in the medical world, you know 0157H7. If you're not, you're like, that's that's what you named it. <laughs> <laughs> you called it that series of numbers and letters, and we're like, good, good job. Good, it's done. That's done. Um, this strain is one that we talk about a lot in medical school and a lot of people are familiar with because it can cause um, a bloody diarrhea. So a lot of intestinal damage and bloody diarrhea, and there's some life-threatening complications that can result. Uh, it makes about 70,000-ish people in the U.S. sick every year. Um, there are outbreaks everywhere. Hmm. But um, the first big outbreak of, and I should say, by the way, the way the, what, the thing that distinguishes these more deadly, or I shouldn't even say deadly, like more dangerous, more, more um, morbidity associated with certain strains, are, um, is a Shiga toxin. That's the name of the toxin. Shigatoxin. And it specifically does more damage than a lot of the other. Th there are lots of ways E. coli can mess with your gut. Shigatoxin is like the worst, if that makes sense. Okay. So anyway, uh, in 1982, the first big outbreak in the U.S. of E. coli 0157H7 occurred. In August of that year, several people in Oregon and Michigan started describing a diarrheal illness that was unique in its severity. Uh, it started out pretty typical if you've had either like what you thought of as a stomach bug or perhaps you were worried about some sort of foodborne illness, some sort of food poisoning. Um, you get some cramping and then you get some watery diarrhea. And that in and of itself, you probably wouldn't, I mean, we don't all necessarily go to the doctor for, right? Like you wouldn't, nobody would report that. You get some cramping, some watery diarrhea, then it goes away and you go, whew, I'm not eating at that restaurant for a while, but then you inevitably go back because that's, because we're human. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, it was followed up by bloody diarrhea. In all of these cases, in this specific outbreak, everybody got better. It all resolved. Okay, good. Um, however, good. it was concerning enough that people went and sought medical care, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty typical. You know, when we see blood, we start to worry more. We go seek some sort of evaluation and diagnosis. Yes. Um, so people sought out medical care, and this is how they discovered that all of these cases had this same strain, E. coli 0157H7, in their stool. This was the, this was the offending agent. So okay. where did it come from? And they eventually linked it. Now, this is what's interesting. The, the paper, uh, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. NEMJ. Mm -hmm, three days before I was born. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is interesting. Yeah, March 24th, 1983, three days before I was born, is called hemorrhagic colitis associated. Sorry, NEJM. <laughs> How did you? Oh, <laughs> that was acting. Hemorrhagic colitis associated with a rare Escherichia coli serotype. Um, it it was linked to, I think it's cool that it was three days before I was born that yeah, this huge paper sure. came out. Anyway, it was like. <laughs> John, you know, John Lennon was shot a month after I was born. I thought we were just saying stuff <laughs> and how it was in relation to the date of our birth. Anyway, uh, what they did, what they figured out with epidemiological investigative techniques is that these people in Oregon and Michigan had all eaten undercooked hamburger from a popular national fast food chain. This was not, by the way, this was in 1982 that this happened. Uh-huh. It was published in 1983, but it happened in 1982. And that's a long time ago. And I think that whatever restaurant was responsible, you would expect that, like, by now, 
people wouldn't still be like, oh, I'm never eating there. Like, you would hear that yeah. and be like, well, I hope they've cleaned their act up since yeah. 1982. It was not immediately available to me. I mean, I found it. I'm not saying I had to do, like, some incredible dark web sleuthing to find the name <laughs> of the fast food chain. But it wasn't immediately clear in the articles that I was reading about this outbreak what mm-hmm. fast food chain it was. Had you wanted to do some dark web sleuthing, Sid, where, where do you think you would have started with that? I would have asked you. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> Sid, where do you think I would have started with that? I don't know how you get there. I probably would have gone to, like, Coursera or something or go to Masterclass. Like, do you have how to use dark web? <laughs> I, w- I don't know how to – I don't know if it's on our computer. The dark web? Uh-huh. Go on. Continue, continue podcast, please. We actually don't have enough time. Is for me it to like practice. the email that I can only get on this computer? Uh-huh. There's one kind of email that only comes to my laptop, and I can't get on my phone, and I don't know how to find it. All right, uh, go you. Whatever you're going to say next, um, just go for it. It was McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, we all knew who it was. McDonald's. I didn't know it was McDonald's. Um, I found it in an article that was written about it later. I mean, that's what we assumed. I think there was this sort of like veil of secrecy around it at the time. Like they all agreed we won't tell people it's McDonald's. And I don't know if it was necessarily like this nefarious, like, well, corporations paid people off to hide the secret. Or if it was like legitimate, we don't want to scare everybody because so many people eat at McDonald's. And if we put this out there, you're going to have like – People for because like lots of people get diarrhea, and so every time someone gets diarrhea, so many people you know statistically you're gonna think, oh my god, I ate at McDonald's. Yeah, it's it's also this like it, we do a little bit of this just as a society, like just all agreeing like we we don't really want to remember the thing about McDonald's, right? And everybody's <laughs> like, no, stop well, mentioning it, let it fade <laughs> into the out of the public consciousness. You you also have to think about and Justin, I feel like this is an area of history you know more about. So it's 1982. The concept of everyone eating from the same restaurant in the entire country is still pretty new, right? In what year? 1982. Uh, I mean, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's early-ish. Because we're talking about, like, at this point, how long had we been having massive foodborne outbreaks? Well, probably think, not very. I mean, if they you were happening, certainly had a lot more local sourcing in that day, those days rather than you know so one it's the, plant in Montana shipping out all the milk everywhere. Exactly, it's the evolution of like the food industry in America, but also specifically in this case, fast food. The concept that because somebody ate a, at a McDonald's in Oregon and got sick, that you'd be worried about eating in a McDonald's right. in West Virginia, that wouldn't have been as clear cut then as mm-hmm. it is now. Where mm-hmm. like if you hear about uh-oh, a, McDon- a McDonald's hamburger made somebody sick. We know enough about how food is distributed that you might worry about mm-hmm. your hamburger here in West Virginia, Yeah. right? Um, so I, f- I feel like that's part of why you don't see this kind of being recognized until like the 80s is that it was happening sporadically maybe before, mm-hmm. but then when everybody started getting their food from the same places, you yeah. get outbreaks. Yeah. Um, so it was undercooked hamburger. And why, by the way? I think I've explained this to you before. Why is it, why will I never eat a hamburger that's not well done, but I would eat a steak that wasn't well done? Um, Because when you grind meat, there's so many more surfaces for bacteria to grow on because the meat is inside of a cut of meat should theoretically not, it should be, you know, free of bacteria because it's inside. There's no exposure to the 
the outside so there's less vector for infection. So in, exactly. In theory, if you if you cook the outside of a steak, you've killed the bacteria. Now, if it's sat out for a long, I mean, obviously there are limitations to that. But with bat, if it's with hamburger, a long time bat, if it sets out a long, long time, <laughs> it's good again. Don't think about that. No one likes to. Th- we don't want to think about how dry <laughs> aging works, right? No, we don't. When and the other thing to think about is that E. coli also lives in the intestines of animals, and so that E. coli that's in that undercooked meat is getting from inside the intestines of those animals all through that hamburger. I'm sorry. I know that's upsetting. This is why I don't eat hamburgers unless they are fully cooked. It's wild to me that McDonald's even has the mechanism by which undercooked beef could be served. This was 1982. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so anyway, 10 years later, another outbreak occurs. And in that time period, I will say there wasn't this huge, like, Um, public panic about fast food or about hamburger or about food contamination, that didn't happen. And in part, it was probably because they never said the name of the, well, I mean, eventually they said the name of the restaurant, but it was not always, everyone did not know. Right. Um, And there wasn't this big, like, the the media didn't have this big heyday with, it just wasn't this big thing until 1993 when the Jack in the Box outbreak occurred. And I think most people are sort of vaguely, and there are no Jack in the Box in this area. So like- But that was why, I think that's why, it's a regional chain, right? mm -hmm. That isn't in other areas, right? So I think that that is why that sticks in my crawl a little bit more because the first time I heard about Jack in the Box was this an E. coli outbreak? Yes. So it was an early, early connection. So at Jack in the Box, there were, and this was much bigger too. The other thing about it is this was much more of a, a severe, widespread outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, contaminated hamburger. It was called the. They linked it to a specific burger, the Monster Burger. Most people like the Monster Burger, which the tagline for the Monster Burger was "So good it's scary." <laughs> so scary, it's good. It caused 732 people in four states to become sick. So big, a big, big outbreak, That's a right? Big outbreak. It's a big S- burger, coli. big hunger, big burger, big flavor, big outbreak. And it's, it's one of the biggest, like, if we look back at sheer numbers, people getting sick. I mean, we've had big contaminations. We know periodically when, like, we can't get romaine at the supermarket, yeah. right? We've had these big, giant food contaminations, but to make this many people sick, it was notable. Yeah, but I bet when you get that contact tracing call about the fact that you ate a monster burger and it gave you super diarrhea, it's like, yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> Actually, you're probably right about that. It's weird how the idea that I ate this food and it gave me diarrhea has super now become diarrhea. like the price you pay. Like we talk about it as almost like, well, of course you did. You ate it wherever. Yeah. And it's like. Why is that? Why, <laughs> Why have we accepted that? Yeah, that's probably you spending too much time with me and my brothers. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. To be fair. That is true. Um, the so the the other hard part about this specific outbreak is that it we un, we and we already knew this to some extent. I'm not saying this is when we discovered it, but it's when we saw it happen um, in all at once. Was that you can get a complication from E. coli 0157H7 called hemolytic uremic syndrome. Mm-hmm. There, there are other bacteria, diarrheal illnesses that can do this too. And then sometimes it's not necessarily associated with that, but this is what we connect it most strongly with. And this specific syndrome, which happened in some of these cases and four people actually perished from mm-hmm. this related to this outbreak, um, causes um, basically kidney failure and your platelets get really low and it can be a deadly complication. And okay. so, again, it's not only E. coli that does this. Um, there are other things that can do it too, but it's it's because of the shigatoxin that is in specific strains. And so that is why 
E. coli 0157H7, when I learned about it in medical school, was one of the bigger deals. Like, there are lots of things that can give you diarrhea. There are lots of things that you can get from contaminated food. This is one of the big deal things you need to think about. Mm -hmm. Um, There have been other strains of E. coli that are not the 0157H7 that have caused illness as well. That happens all over the globe. So it's not just this one bad actor. Um, there was one specifically in Germany in 2011. Um, this was a, it was also a shigatoxin producing one. That seems to be our worst, right? Like when you have that shigatoxin president. Um, whoa, 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 you just said shigatoxin president? And president. that sounds <laughs> very scary to me. Why did we elect a shigatoxin? What were we thinking? Um, just stuff wasn't bad enough. 4,300 people got sick. Uh, 852 people got that complication, that hemolytic uremus syndrome, um, and uh, over 50 people died. Um, they linked this one actually to uh, fenugreek. Oh, what is that? That sounds really familiar. So fenugreek seeds, these sprouts that – the reason that I know about fenugreek is that it was recommended to me for breastfeeding. Oh, that may be what I'm to, to increase production. So that is how they – they figured it out is that most of the people who got sick were um, healthy young adult women. Mm-hmm. And they were more like, I mean, fenugreek is highly, uh, you can, I mean, there are other like sort of health connections to fenugreek. But I know for me, I had people telling me to eat fenugreek when I was trying to breastfeed. So there's the, the connection there. Which just to highlight, I say that just to highlight that like E. coli is not just in hamburgers. It's not just in meat. That is often what we think of, like you said, when we think of E. coli. Um, but it is in, like you said, lettuce and spinach. Cookie dough, oof, that's a rough one because I have been guilty of eating raw cookie dough. You really shouldn't eat raw cookie dough. It's been linked to apple juice. It's been linked to cheese. Um, it's been linked to, like I said, sprouts. Well, and raw mi- raw, any they- raw stuff, raw milk, please don't drink raw milk. Then eat the raw cookie dough. If you're going <laughs> to get it from apples and stuff, like just eat the, just it. Just eat it. You have to think about things like um, petting zoos. It's been linked to outbreaks at petting zoos yeah, because animals have look, it. Look for those hand-washing stations, y'all. If they don't have a hand-washing station at the petting zoo, oh, I don't know if you want to go in that petting zoo. I don't know, bud. Water parks. <laughs> Well, <laughs> you play. You pays your money. It takes your chances with that. I know how much you love the flodge. Oh yeah, Great not that flodge, part. Not that. Not that part. I don't know of any. Out, by the way, I don't know of any outbreaks associated with Great Wolf Lodge. That was just. It is a water park. I, I don't mean to malign could, the good name of the Great Wolf yeah, Lodge. Yeah, you could have mentioned Noah's Ark or the beach or Boomers or um, Blizzard Beach. Overall, there are six. Typhoon Lagoon. <laughs> there are six different pathogenic types of E. coli that cause diarrhea. Some are worse than others. There's one, for instance, um, that causes most of travelers' diarrhea, which is typically more benign and self-limited than these other things we're talking about. Um, but also, as I said, some E. coli is good. It can be a probiotic. It can be, and it is also very useful in molecular biology. Mm. Um, it's it's one of the big. There's some, you know, microbes that we found are very useful. In, like, constructing things, making things in molecular biology. So, like, um, pharmaceuticals are made using it. Uh, things like um, um, uh, erythropoietin, oh. human growth hormone. There are some clotting factors, insulin. Different things that we need bacteria to help us create. E. coli is part of that mm-hmm. process. Um, it's been used in, like, industrial chemicals like phenol and mannitol. It, so it's... It's a very useful bacteria, and in many cases, the strains are not only 
are they not harmful, but they're good that they're in your colon. But then there are those rogue strains. So at the end of the day, what should you do? How do you avoid getting an infection related to E. coli? You can't. No. <laughs> Just give up. I mean, obviously we can't control everything. I mean, but things, is, folks, there it is. Let's, let's be proactive. Spinning through space. What harm reduction? What can we do to limit our risk? Wash our hands. Wash your hands and cook your food. Cook your food, you weirdos. <laughs> Wash your hands and cook your food okay. are two major ways you can reduce your risk of getting uh, E. coli or other foodborne illnesses. Again, understanding that when you eat at a restaurant, when you eat food that's from, you know, that's been mass produced from who knows where. Um, so just don't sweat it. There are always mm. going to be risks in life, but cook your food, wash your hands can can limit your risks, um, especially if you're at a petting zoo. Please wash your hands. Petting zoos are great. Love petting zoos. Please wash your hands. Love a petting zoo. Please wash your hands. Uh, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to change anything, Sid. It seems like E. coli is waiting around every corner to snatch me up and put me into its diarrhea van. And so I will continue my existence unabated. I hope uh, you will do the same unless... Uh, you, your hearts and minds have been changed by this, and you decided to finally wash your hands, and I, I approve of that. Semmelweis had it right. Sydney's always watching. Sydney knows when you don't wash your hands. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, that is going to do it for us uh, for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.